everyone, don't forget to go to rebrandedsafety.com to get yourself some cool-ass merch. Get yourself sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs, tote bags, and you can support us a little bit more. And the best of it is you wouldn't even know you're supporting a health and safety channel because it just looks cool, man. Don't forget, rebrandedsafety.com. Get yourself some merch, peeps. Safe. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Or should I say, I'm back at Rebranding Safety. I understand I've been gone for a long time and I can only apologise. Um, had a few people message me, say, hey, they're still doing a podcast, which kind of boosted my ego, which was nice, very nice to kind of get those messages. Nice to see that people cared as well. So thank you very much for those who messaged me. Um, I'd like to read out all their names, but there was just too many. There was a joke, there was like a handful of them, but it was still really nice. Um, so we are back. Let me briefly explain what's been going on. So, if any of you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll understand that I was doing my NCRQ diploma, uh, long overdue diploma, and um, for everyone that gave me the one piece of advice that was, you will need all six weeks to do this final assignment. It was probably the best advice I could have ever received because it genuinely did take me forever. That whole six weeks was kind of, yeah, just jam-packed of the diploma. I haven't done anything else. But then, I mean, brutally up front with you, probably kind of, had an early midlife crisis, maybe a burnout. I don't really know what happened. I just hit some like proper low, just didn't want to do anything, um, really struggled to motivate myself to do the diploma. Um, and, and yeah, so I feel like I'm coming out of that now. So that's nice. Talking to a lot of people has been very helpful. Um, we've also just been mad busy for two reasons. One, well, three reasons. The diploma, which I've already mentioned. Secondly, we had the HSC Congress. So keep your eye out on our YouTube channel if you haven't already hit subscribe. And on this podcast, because on this podcast we'll be having a recorded keynote from Eric. Uh, Honalgal. 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 I think that's how you say it. Sorry if I've offended you, Eric. Um about safety too, uh, so it was really good. So we've recorded his keynote, you'll be able to get the video version of that and the podcast version of that. So make sure you keep subscribed. Uh, if you haven't dissubscribed or unsubscribed since we've been gone for so long, I would understand if you have. Um, so Eric's gonna be on there. We'll also be doing a vlog of day one and a vlog of day two, um, which will be like little bits and bobs of what we did and what it looked like. Also some like little reviews of some keynotes and stuff that we did. You'll get a real good feel of what it's like to be a delegate at that. So keep tuned, there's gonna be some great videos. Um, we are currently editing those now. So much content to kind of get into one video, ideally under 10 minutes, is actually really difficult. But I really enjoyed the event. Um, so. Keep tuned for those videos. Where are we? That was number two. Number three is rebranding safety is going to have a mini rebranding safety. No, not a new podcast. Myself and my wife are having our first child. Um, yeah, that's it really. So I think that kind of probably majorly constituted to my mid uh, slash early mid 
life crisis. Um, but yeah, so like surrounded by like nappies and things. Sorry for those that are just listening on the podcast, but literally studio's been overgrown. That's a lie. I've literally just kind of started clearing out the back room because we're going to move into the back room. Me and you, podcast people, studio, we're going to move into a different room. And this room is going to become the baby room, um, which was always the plan. Um, anyway, so, yeah, you don't really care about that stuff. So we have jiggled around the the uh, schedule. So primarily the plan was for you to be listening to Robert Dukes next um, in this week's podcast and then listening to Megan Rachel and then uh, who were talking all about like culture types, which is a really interesting conversation. And then listening to, oh God, we've got a few pre-recorded ones ready to go. Um, but I had already recorded the intros and outros to Robert and I wanted to do a little special intro to just explain why we've disappeared. Uh, Apologise because we've disappeared. Say, hey, I'm having a baby. Um, and, and that's it really. So today in this episode, we're going to be talking to Gareth Evans, Gareth Evans, Gareth Evans, who works at Yonder Group, who is their head of safety, director of safety, blah, 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 um, the top dog of safety within that business. And it's quite an interesting conversation, actually, because what Yonder are doing is is trying to just be like quite, they're quite, they're very innovative kind of, like a startup, Gareth describes them as, but like a big startup. And they they basically build like, and I've probably got this wrong, but like huge data centers and they want to do it quicker than everyone else and better than everyone else. Now, when anyone says to safety people want to do it quicker than anyone else, that starts ringing alarm bells, doesn't it? So that's a really interesting conversation. The relationship between him and the board at Yonder and the freedom he's given and just the kind of way he's managing it is kind of refreshing to listen to as well. Overall, just a very good conversation. Um, and actually, you know, I probably should have recorded this after um, the weekend's rugby because obviously England are going to beat Wales in the Six Nations and I think Gareth might be a little bit upset about that and I could have had it in this interview. But, oh well, too late. We actually recorded it months ago. So, without further ado, Gareth wants to change the world with health and safety and in this podcast, we're going to talk about how he's going to do that. This rebrand the safety with Gareth Evans. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulation. A huge fire engulfs a tower block. In Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Riss Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Right, Gareth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, James. Why don't you give us a little introduction into yourself and um, and Yonder Group as well and just kind of what you do, who you are, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, my name is Gareth Evans. I am the group health, safety, quality, and environment director for Yonder Group. Um, Yonder, what we do, so we are a completely outsourced uh, end-to-end solutions company. Um, basically, in the data center world, we look at uh, capacity, so hyperscale data centers, and we look at the technical real estate, and we deliver that generally faster than anybody else in the market. 
Um, we take away our clients' constraints. We're completely self-funded. We take care of the designer element. Uh, we deliver the um, construction through our partners. And then we operate the hyperscale data center in its entirety. So uh, across Europe, uh, we, we're in uh, Netherlands and some other places coming up pretty soon. And yeah, so the clients can choose the fully outsourced solutions uh, for the full life cycle and pick apart the different bits that suit them. So it's complete turnkey. Okay. What, what are we talking big? Are we talking small? Data? Are we talking all yeah, of the so above? If, if people aren't aware of, of the sort of data center world, um, the, the we generally talking in hyperscale. So if I think of our project in the Netherlands at the moment, um, it's currently sitting over 500 meters long. Um, there's it's, it's a big site to walk around, so you definitely get your get your steps in. Um, yeah, and in terms of power, um, 60 megawatts of energy to power it. And um, if you put that into sort of real world, that's probably twice the capacity of power in Peterborough. Wow. In, so yeah, in terms of in terms of what it takes to um, to, to keep the lights on, and such, and keep uh, store this information for these um, for, for our customers is uh, it's, it's no, no mean feat at all. Yeah. My experience of uh, construction of data centers was a very small in comparison to what you're talking about data center in a hospital um, for the whole trust um, within the NHS, and uh, it was probably. I'm terrible with numbers, so I wouldn't even want to guess, but it was like a small bedroom size. But it mm -hmm. took us, it was a huge project. This contractor, to be fair, was really good. It was slick. Um, obviously, held all like the data security stuff, so that was all. And obviously, with it being like uh, with the fire suppression systems and stuff, so obviously, access was, was uh, kind of strict and stuff. But the construction project itself was, was lengthy, and the amount of in intrusive works it had on the impact on the wider building as well was shocking you know i'm sitting here as a as a layman when it comes to that kind of stuff just thinking just putting a big computer in a room what's the problem yeah. and, and the work so for you must be absolutely huge i mean these construction products how, how long are we talking like lengthwise or size so, yeah um said 60 megawatt data center from first pile in the ground to be in an operational state it's taken 13 months okay and you um, say you're you're quicker than most so what what's that in how, how much quicker are you you think uh generally to market um the deal we had with yonder so we're a completely brand new company um only really been going since 2019 and most, most other data center or capacity clients or they, they would maybe take maybe two to three years for something similar. Wow. Yeah. How do you kind of balance that? Is that, is that so that's one of that's one of Yonder's biggest selling points, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know it, that, that that part, you know, the construction part is just a, just um, just an element of that. But yeah. it, instead of going down that traditional GC uh, general contractor or principal contract in the UK and and, and subcontractor route. Um, we're operating as kind of under a lean construction module, so that's um, IPD, uh, Integrated Project Delivery. And so ra rather than having a quite quite a heavy management team on site or management company as a principal contractor, we, we look at the best best partners or the best uh, best people for the, for the job. So like um, in terms of the project, the, the uh, M&E guys uh, would, would lead on the, the part of the M&E, the steel guys would lead on putting the steel up in the frame. Um, again, with the civils, they, they, they take care of that and logistics. So we take the best um, 
we basically rely on the expertise of our, of our subcontractors to, to to pull that in. And obviously the, the construction element of that then is being delivered currently by ISG, who are a sister company to, to Yonder. Um, we're owned by the Cathexis Group. So it's um, it's very much so keeping all in that, that sort of family for them. Mm. With, with that kind of uh, big one of the bigger seller points of the just a, obviously it's a life it's kind of like a life cycle thing i understand that so but but from it must be a big selling point from the construction point to say hey we're, we're you know nearly a few, you know quite a bit quicker than everyone else get my words out of my mouth yeah. um how how do you just does that conflict with like safety and kind of how how do you manage that relationship because uh a lot of I'm not saying it can't be done. What I'm what I'm trying to get to is a lot of people would see that as a negative. So you know where you're like, right, we've got to build this quick and fast, and it's like first thing that a lot of maybe traditional or even it doesn't have to be traditional, just normal safety professionals would first be thinking, right, okay, speed, so that's pressure, so we're going to start cut, cutting corners, you know. So you have, you must have to work quite hard on your overall kind of respect and culture around risk management as a whole. Um, to be able to enable the business to do that in a reasonably safe manner, or in a practical manner, I suppose. Well. Absolutely. I think it's, it's um, more than anything, get rid of the bureaucracy. <laughs> people, there's, there's so much that you need to do this and you need to do that. And I think of one of our taglines is that we deliver end-to-end solutions elegantly. And, and I, I like don't that. mean that by... But when I think of that, that's not necessarily like it's going to be the prettiest building in the world. Because let's face it, it's it's a it's a it's a big grey warehouse in the middle of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. It's um it, it's for me elegantly is that when when things maybe aren't going right, you're not necessarily um, pulling up the contracts and going through that line by line. It's let's get together, let's work on this. So I think the the advantage of IPD as well is, whereas general construction they're making quite small margins. When you haven't got that that big big layer in it, um, people are making a lot more money. The people involved in this. So when you keep your eye on the prize of we do this right and we work together, rather than having different levels of people get this, people get that itself from the front. Um, and we you know, people generally do a lot better out of this. And I think um, through through other case studies of IPD, so it's generally um, originated out in California, uh, and looking at other companies have gone down this route. It, generally been a lot more successful it's uh yeah it's that's all right no problem at all sorry mate yeah yeah no problem yeah, unfortunately so I, think, I can't put a dog on silent yeah that's it no worries yeah so i think i think at that point is um i think when we got the respect there and um, we got the mutual trust and empowerment in the teams to deliver it um yeah we take that bureaucracy out of it and generally um like i said it's not all sunshine and roses there are difficult times in it but if we, we generally keep our eye on the price, it, it, it tends to be, um, it, it, t- it tends to work, um, yeah, uh, differently to that general contractor, subcontractor route. But it's um, hopefully, it's the model we're going to go down and it's, um, it's proved successful so far. I find it fascinating one of the things you kind of said there about um, you, you're not so much just kind of looking for the cheapest contractor, it's, it's more just like just looking for quality um, in, in your subbies and stuff like that. Um, and a more elegant I like that tagline and I like elegant as a word is nice yep. but it's interesting and I find it fascinating that you know it's it's kind of common practice isn't it you go get a job you get three quotes you pick the cheapest one it's like and that, that just goes all the way up to corporate size and then what you do is you kick up fuss when you realize oh 
you know, whatever you're building, it could be a house. Let's take a house, for example. You're building a house, you think, oh, my house is shit. Well, yeah, because you picked the, the cheapest contractor and now you're wondering why. I, I just find it fascinating that sometimes, I'm not saying everybody's like this, but in my experience, everyone just seems to be so short-sighted. It's like, well, we're not happy with the product we're getting. Well, that's because you, you you paid nothing. You paid next to nothing. And a good example of that, actually, I mean, you could go back to the early episodes of this podcast. And, and the first episode we started was my phone and hands-free kit. So it literally cost me nothing, but the quality was horrendous. And then the next one was a 10, a 10 pound microphone or something like that off of eBay, direct from China. It was horrendous. And then when I, I mean, just last, late last year, I kind of listened through it. And you can, you can literally hear the pounds being spent by the quality improving. And it's the yeah. same thing. Um, and it, there's, a, there's so much to talk about that. I want to touch on the trust piece that you said about. I think that's really important as well. But let's just kind of explore that, that kind of short-sightedness thing then about like, what, what, what do you think? And, and this is not, you, you're not going to be able to give me the, the right answer or the wrong answer. There probably isn't a right or wrong answer. Yeah. But what is it that makes us so short-sighted that we're just like, just get the cheapest contractor? Is that, why, why can't we just say, well, let's just find the right contractor. Doesn't necessarily have to be the most expensive. Doesn't necessarily have to be the most qualified, but the one that fits your values, your your aim, etc. So I think... Uh, the experience from where I'm currently, it's not necessarily the case of finding the cheapest people to do something because I think our, our end goal is where we're not just looking at construction. We're looking at, you know, we got to operate this thing for the next 15 years at least. Yeah. So if we build something really cheaply, it's, it's going to start breaking. Then we're going to get into places like SLA uh, breaches, stuff like that, which is a whole world of it, which is going to cost us down the line. Mm. So it, it's, it's for me, it's... Um, we think of getting that that product and and in terms of the the, the guys who work on the construction side of it that um who work with us it's it's um i think it's getting rid of any sort of self-arrogance to believe you know the best and, and for me and like that ipd thing of, of so if, if i think of you know, our group as such where we are we got um sort of technical authorities so where where i might take that title, even though titles don't really mean much to me, of um, group director on it. Um, when I think of the electricity running through the data center, um, why, well, I'm not necessarily an expert in electricity, but I know how my electrical engineer, who's in the Netherlands, for example, who's, you know, I class him as a complete genius in that sort of side of it. And, you know, a bit of a mad scientist, built his own electric car. So when I want to know about electricity, I'll speak to him. We'll make sure he's empowered to make that call on it because that's he's lived that he's he's done that for the last 20 30 years. Whereas mm. what we do is in terms of safety professionals, it's not necessarily know all everything, but it's, it's I, I believe the role that I got essentially is try to pull out the best of people, give them the tools they need to succeed, and, and mm. get out. Get, and more than anything, is get get from under their feet. If if they tell me that's the right thing to do and and they're expert in that, you know, there's you know, there's positive challenge, but there's you know, there's no way, it, it, what, what right do I have to go against against somebody, like I said, who spent maybe, you know, the, the PhD in electrical engineering. It's, it's a completely different thing compared to the, the, the training I have. So, yeah. Mm. I, like, um, I like that. I, I, do you know what? That's quite similar. I'm just at the tail end of finishing off my diploma. Thank God. It's been a long time coming. Um, but towards the end of it, it's... Um, so I did the NCRQ one. So basically, it's um, towards the end of it, you, you look into the more um 
high, more specific, but most of the higher risk kind of stuff. So you start looking up to like, like um, electricity, low voltage, high voltage. You start looking at fire. You start looking at confined space, um, et cetera, et cetera. Explosions, all the lot. And, and I'm going through it and I'm thinking like, I get what they're trying to do, and, and it's kind of like the industry is set like this. But as I'm going through it, I'm just like, it, it just feels wrong that, that I'm learning about electricity, to stick with your example, from one chapter in a book. Mm-hmm. And I understand it's just giving us a general knowledge to be able to maybe not challenge, but ask um challenging questions to to a phd electrical engineers and, and just to be able to say okay have we thought about this and just be that person that maybe i, I always class safety professional as a as a positive devil's advocate is kind of like our role it's just to stand there and just ask questions to be like in a, in a positive manner just saying have we thought about this what about this what about this and and with the, with the aim of getting the job done obviously and then that engineer goes do you know what i haven't thought about that great that's what i'm here for so i understand that we need a general knowledge of stuff but it's kind of like is 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 is, do our skills not need to focus more on like the kind of personality management people management understanding people maybe a bit of psychology sociology things like that instead of actually nailing down on the technical aspects of these risks because we employ electrical engineers will employ a oh god whatever an explosive uh, specialist if we've got an explosive atmosphere or something like that and i just think i feel like do, do we need a bit of a shake-up in the industry and it's just interesting that you kind of touched on it as i was thinking of it the other day and i was thinking it just doesn't feel right i'm not going to finish this book i'm going to get a, a, a certificate and people are going to think i'm competent competent even though you know i've got loads of experience but i need a piece of paper to tell everybody i'm competent but i'm not going to get on that soapbox um for, for them to say, for them to say like, oh yeah, we can employ James now as a safety specialist. It's like, no, I'm just a devil's advocate. That's all I am. That's all I'm here for. Is a cult, uh, maybe a culture specialist, but it, I don't know. It's, it's difficult because I think there's a fair argument that some people maybe from oil and gas that are like, I need to be a technical expert in oil and gas. And I'm like, no, well, do you? Because there's engineers on site. I'm, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Be interested what you yeah. think. It's... Um... Yeah, I, th- I think you know. For me, it's, it's when when I, I kind of try to sell myself in an interview. I think that or when I was applying for this job, it, it was I was like, well, you know, by nature as, as a safety professional, I don't like using that word professional, but <laughs> you're kind of um, you know, curious problem solvers. Mm, so it, it, like it's rather than anything, it's it's um, asking the right questions. Mm. And and just just to have a have a flavour of something and so and and like I said, it's that uh, that thing of rather you know positive challenge, bringing people in, bringing them together, mm. uh, creating that environment. And um, you know, people like uh, Amy Edmondson when she talks about um, you know the sort of teaming and psychological safety of getting the right right people in the room, yeah. um, creating a platform where people feel empowered to talk up and, and they feel like they can talk without repent. So it's, it's for me, uh, and I think of what we do in Yonder. So as, as company size, we're around 180, 190 people, and we're growing rapidly. It is is to um, create that right culture. And, and I think the biggest risk I got for my guys in terms of physical risk is is in terms of direct employees is is men- mentally creating that mm-hmm. safe environment, making sure that they got 
that they feel empowered, that they feel psychologically safe in their work, work, workplace. So there's, um, a, and, and kind of when it went through the sort of business planning for, for Yonder of, of how we set the company up last year, it, it was, um, you know, I look at uh, like authors like uh, Dan Coyle, who wrote the um, Culture Code and uh, what's the other one, Culture Code, and God, I tip my tongue. And they look at um, they look at sort of high performing teams, and, and they, they all share sort of three three common um, common traits. And it's that thing of um, uh, a safe environment that could be you know physically and mentally safe. It's um, a common goal, so that common thematic goal, which which you are pushing for for the same thing, and shared vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And for me, that that vulnerability is 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 saying that all right, I put my hands up when I make a mistake, but my hands up when saying hey, I, I I don't know the answers to this, but I just want to ask the question, and I, I'm not sure. So let's let's find the answer out together, and pull people in the right place. And I say, if you get that that, that point where we, we get rid of hierarchies, it should be people positively challenging in every direction, and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily. It shouldn't necessarily be seen as criticism. It should be seen as a positive thing. Mm. There is just so many examples of why this kind of transition into moving away from the blame game. And stuff, and I think this will transition into the little connection of a conversation we have about similarities between what you're trying to do in the future at Yonder or now at Yonder, and what the kind of aviation industry do. But yep. I think aviation is a, is a prime example. They're, they're still not perfect. Don't get me wrong. There's there's films that, that will show you that. I mean, you know, anyone who's not an advocate, uh, not a, a geek like me, and wants to just watch a film, they can go watch Sully, and that that's a prime example of yep. of you know. Ha- how the aviation industry can still get it wrong, but but eventually towards the end of the film get it right. Um, I know there's an example. Is it is it Hotel Oscar, the flight that came down in the UK, um, and they kind of blamed the pilot as well. I can't that might have got that wrong. No, um, flight was it the? Um... I can't remember the number of the flight. It was like a really long number, but they they nicknamed it Hotel Oscar, I think, because or Oscar it's Hotel. Down on the roof. Yes. Yeah, well, they were like, I don't know, like six six inches from the roof or something like that in London. That's it. Um, and they blamed that on the pilot. And, and it's like, without kind of stepping back and uh, w- with that blame mentality, you're missing so much. And actually, that is a horrific story. Um, when you, and it, it's actually, it's in, um, it's in, um, it's explained really well in Black Box Thinking. Yeah. In a book by Matthew Syed, is he yeah. explains it beautifully well, and it, it, he adds his own little bit to it as well. So, if anybody kind of thinking I want to learn about that, maybe that might be the better way to do it. I think. But anyway, to get to the point, it, it's like it's like it's this new thing that we're discovering. Like, oh, let's stop blaming people um, and punishing people. We might actually create a better environment. But but then I think it's not a new thing. And this is funny you mentioned this as well because. My, one of my guilty um, pleasures is Sharp. I don't know if you remember the really old series, Sharp, with Sean Bean in. Yes. Yeah, when, he, yeah. when he's like 20 years old or something like that. Unbelievably young, right? It's unbelievably old. It's terrible. But I just love it. I love it so much, right? And there is so much about leadership in that show that is unbelievable, that we've not picked it up, that it's took us from... To, to now to just start thinking about this and a prime example is back then they used to flog soldiers right so you get whipped right if you've done something wrong 
Yeah. And then when they start winning the war, this is it's all like the Napoleonic War. Um, when they start winning the war, these soldiers start going pillaging, raping, looting, and they just become, you know, there's all hierarchies gone out the window. They don't care because why? Because they've been treated like shit. They've been blamed and punished for everything that the, the tiny, I mean, not keeping your chin up in, in whilst marching, you get flogged for it. So it doesn't create an environment where they want to be. And, and they're meant to put their life on a line. Whereas if you look at Sharp and how he manages uh, his little gang of, they're called chosen men and all this, right? And, and he just, they have respect. They have like, they have respect for the leader, but they have respect for their leader, Sharp, because he has respect for them. He protects them and they protect him. And it creates this little group. They end up becoming the specialists of this war, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, hang on a minute. This book was written like early 1900s, I think. Well, not early 1900s, but you know, it was like 90s, 80s, I don't know. And and I'm thinking, so so actually, we knew this. We knew that leadership and respect and that get us so much further than punishment and hierarchy. Um, why are we still got businesses now that that kind of that kind of go to this point? We're, we're having incidents and. Uh, accidents and we're, and we're looking for that person now, whose fault was that must be operator error only not sorry i'm waffling on and I'm, i will get to the oh, question yeah. i realize that you know you're the guest on here it should be you talking more oh, than me it's, it's good conversation but, yeah. but like this, this this point you've kind of touched on has been in my head for like a while now and it we just had on the news recently haven't we that that plane that got shot down over iran uh, or, or somewhere near that, right? And and what have Iran said? It's operator error. It was on the bloody news now. And 2019, 2020, I can't remember when they put it on the news. Operator error. I'm like, nah, mate, we, we are so beyond operator error. Okay, so me going on and on and on for the last 20 minutes, probably. I'm trying to come around to a point. Uh, aviation society, the aviation industry have kind of, caught on to this a while ago so those people that don't know they kind of no matter where you are and, or, and as much as i've read anyway i've never worked in aviation so I'm, anyone that has can correct me if i'm wrong but they share incidents from a perception of how can we stop this again and looking at the overarching picture not trying to allocate blame which brings us quite nicely onto one of the things that you're trying to do at yonder is quite similar to that would you say yeah, to, to, um, exactly that to the point. So, you know, I think in terms of stealing with pride, probably a similar process uh, of, for, for me, the, if we look at uh, the people in, who were involved or the companies involved in the construction side and the maintenance side and whatever, they, they, they come from the, the sort of data center world is quite a small industry and uh, quite incestuous. So they come from more or less the same stock. So it's, um, if, if there's a issue or something doesn't go quite right on our project, chances are that in six months time when they go to the next project, um, they could potentially have the same issue. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk, talking with um, guys in our company was like, well, how, how, why don't we put our, our data to public? Why don't we put it out there and make that. that free, open information? Uh, and they say, have that shared vulnerability of, you know, things probably don't go right all the time, but if, if it improves the overall industry, it's not just helping us for future builds, but it's helping our competition. It's bringing people along. I mean, I, for the majority of it, we got nothing to hide. It's, it's I say for the majority, for all of it, there's, um, you know, things go right and things go wrong. Um, and I believe when you get 
you know, people like uh, Sydney Deck have talked about a lot with the, the sort of just culture mm. uh, um, and that sort of safety anarchy part of it. It's it, it's taking taking those lessons and making sure they're implemented. The, there's been so many instances I've seen with other organisations where oh, I'm name them, but something goes wrong and they go right uh, and for the construction environment I'll, I'll do a toolbox talk and it won't happen again <laughs> and and then when i think it's positively challenging that i'm like do you really believe a toolbox talk will rent that reportable accident happen again do you believe do you want to look at your process do you want to look of how you get the information across do you want to look at your you know why is somebody in office writing your risk assessment method statements why is a safety manager doing that and why is not the guys doing the work doing that because if I think of how we've set, like even for Yonder in our management systems, for example, you know, we um, we got sort of three three sort of main operating areas in terms of our development team who who are development design. Um, we got our operations team, and then we got the um, sort of technical specialists to do the IT installs stuff like that. So they're quite vastly different businesses. So. It, it, if we put in this this sort of really rigid structure and say, for example, that the guys who are essentially do the FM role of operating a data center, if we say, right, you've got to follow construction processes through that, it's, it's by nature. If people don't like doing something, they're going to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So so why don't we give people some guidance, you know, some clear guidance and rules and then allow flexibility for people to build how they want to build? So, and if I think, you know, I've got to be off, off, off track on that, but if I think of sharing information is if it improves the industry and makes people safer, uh, I mean, no matter which way you look about look at, look at it, it's, it's you know our, our number one role is uh, just make sure people get home or, or assisting people getting home at night. It, it doesn't matter who you work for. It doesn't matter what color badge you're wearing or what color t-shirt you're wearing. It, it's you take a human element to that and make it really personal. I, I don't think anybody wants to see people get hurt. Mm. And, and if there's something that I can do. In, in my role and, and something we do in an organization which prevents somebody six months down the line getting hurt or people having, inf- having access to information to improve that, let's shout about it. Let's, let's prevent people in the future getting hurt through mistakes that might, might have happened on our projects. Yeah. Uh, and then what I'd like in return is, is that, you know, potentially if, if companies feel brave enough, join us in that. Let's, let's put your, your accident statistics, let's put your, um, you know, your root cause analysis and your lessons learned on that, publish that. We, we, um, we're investing in a platform to put that online, which will sit, you know, sit, and that's hopefully we want to create the point where this is a global lesson learned platform. You know, Yonder at the moment, we are just opened up before Christmas in Asia. Uh, we opened up this year in Americas. Um, so it's, it's, it's a global business, and this is something that's going to definitely span the globe. Um, and it's just inviting people to come on that journey with us. It's, it's, it's not about who you work for or who you make money for or how much money you make it's about taking that human element into it and saying i want to make sure that people are safer and it's it's by doing that hopefully that's going to contribute to that in some way some way mm, i like that to, to get to this kind of point you you must have you keep the way you kind of talk about it and what, what you're under doing it reminds me of um and you kind of touched on it earlier when you're talking about amy edmondson as well but reminds me when we had um dr dara blumenthal on the podcast and she's like a doctor of sociology and she was talking about psych- psychological safety and all that and, and something that she said i'm, I'm quite a big fan of one-liners because <laughs> yeah. my brain my brain can't handle much more but it's it's like 
what she said is like you need to create an environment where everybody is 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 comfortable with being briefly uncomfortable and and then and then somebody else said something on a different podcast i was listening to was like and they were talking about managing people and they were saying we we need to be able to to be in a position where we all know the end goal so if you all know the end goal yonder is delivering elegant data centers with and 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 sending people home and and improving safety as, as a wider industry if we can that's our goal it feels okay for people to challenge us and it feels okay for maybe it took the road to get a little bit bumpy and it feels uncomfortable but we're comfortable yeah. with that because we know our goals and 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 that must have t- that must have been an interesting transition to see and and started probably within yonder with the subcontractors building that trust and getting quality contractors and just saying hey look this is what we're doing and if you don't fit this line that's fine you just go elsewhere and we're going to crack on. Um, and I just, I love that. I think, you know, I'm really, really fortunate. Uh, I think of the, the sort of leadership team, the C-level leadership, um, CEO, COO, CDO and CFO who, who kind of run Yonder. Um, they're very progressive, very forward thinking. And, and every meeting or, or time I spend with them you know, on a weekly basis, is uh, it always challenges me to do push more. Don't think of traditionally, so our sort of tagline in Yonder is tomorrow without constraints. So don't constrain oh, yourself to, to what, what, what traditional, what, what the norm is. Don't, don't settle for, I, I think when people say, you know, I, I, I want to be the best in the world. I say, well, I don't just want to perform the best in the world, but I want to perform myself. I, I really want to push it, but we, um, you know, how we do that in terms of performance management is, is, um, yeah, it's making sure that there's, you know, we reward people when they do right, but at the same time, we learn from stuff when it's not quite there as well. But there's, it's, it's that, you know, that just culture tag, isn't it? It is, yeah, I like that. I like that tomorrow without constraints. So I think that that's nice that, like, you know, so many people think of, of, of kind of that safety, I, I use that as a kind of collective term of health, safety, and kind of, I, I much prefer risk management, if I'm honest, but like, People see that as a constraint, don't they? Like that, that must have been. Was that was that not naturally? Um, were you, were your kind of leaders, business leaders within Yonder? Were they naturally didn't think like that anyway, or did you? Did, was that a conversation you had to have with them? Or oh, they they were really open, um, really really open. I think in terms of a company, we're growing so fast. It's, it's getting people. We 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 all everyone mutually trust each other. Let's let's rely on what we do and the ideas. And um, let let them flow, and, and so we, it seems to be hitting the mark at the moment. It's giving people that autonomy and freedom to to create that culture for people to thrive in. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of per- personally. You know, I I've had a handful, a very small handful, probably a couple of peas actually, not so much a handful of managers that uh, that, that kind of try and create a, a work environment like that, and just say, hey, look. You know, I, I employed you, so I deem you competent to do what you want to do. I trust you. Go on, off you go. Just just go and do what you need to do. And if there's any problems, give me a call. And, you know, personally, I thrive off of that. I absolutely thrive off of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I think maybe some personalities wouldn't thrive in that in that environment and maybe need yeah. that kind of, not so much micromanagement from a negative term, but, you know, they need that kind of, here's a to-do list. But I think... 
for a business to be well, not so much a business for this industry uh, and culture piece and just culture is is a great example there needs to be trust and i think from from your point of view when we spoke last time you've got a huge team um all over the world and um it's pretty much got to be impossible for for you to manage you know people in if i remember rightly you've got people working in the netherlands and everywhere within your team of safety professionals yeah you, so you couldn't do that without trust yeah so i think in terms of safety teams at the moment we got guys in far out in finland uh a few locations in the netherlands belgium uk um soon to be asia and then probably later this year in the states as well um, it's like you said when, when in terms of you know there's, there's got to be levels of governance and there's got to be levels of, of structure but mm-hmm. um, for, for like for, to, to truly build a, a platform for people to operate in they got to have the flexibility to put in what they believe is is right for, for their part of the business or what they're working on so I think um, when we were going around setting our management systems up last year here was lots of research looking at different industries um, really fortunate I went down to um, down to Switzerland, spent some time with the guys in JTI, Japanese tobacco industry, which is completely right field or left field from compared to to what the data center industry was. And uh, Jim Howard on there was really, really receptive and, and great guy to um, kind of show us what they do in terms of their, 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 their model being a relatively small corporate function with a massive operational output. It, it was a similar sort of thing for us. And we, we, decided, we looked at different models of what works in terms of management systems. And we decided that yeah, that thing of if, if we, we set completely rigid guidelines of how we're going to work, then people are just going to break rules. It's, it's mm-hmm. um, I think I think it was uh, reading a book, is it Tim Marsh, when he talks about about people who are breaking rules, and it's that thing of sitting in a room with people and saying how many people drive over the speed limit, and yeah. it was up, and how many people have you know uh, smoked or gone gone to work with a hangover when they probably shouldn't be driving. And, um, and and you can more or less guarantee 99% of the room is going to stick their hand up. And then you say you set so rigid rules for people that naturally when they're not comfortable with them, they're going to break them. Mm-hmm. So if you trust people and they're there to do a job, less, less you know, it's that safety anarchy point, which Sydney Decker talks about, is take away the rules and people will naturally want to do the right thing. Mm. But um, you give people guidelines and flexibility. You say, look, go forth, do it. Um, and build that to what, what works for you. It's just what we're doing at my point from, a, from across the group level is setting those minimum standards and, and the, the guys are building systems to work for them. Yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of people look at this and maybe listen to this or, or um, a lot of people misinterpret a lot of Sydney Decker's work and stuff like that and think that, that it's, a, it's a culture of no blame it's a culture of no accountability that's what i've been challenged on before no hierarchy no structure no accountability it is anarchy and and i said well no i don't think he advocates for no like it's called a just culture for a reason like it means that it's just by the fact that it's kind of justice in a way that that if you you are accountable you knowingly did something wrong and there's just no way that that the business the systems the the context of the situation has contributed to that you were just a dick then you're going to be held accountable for that and and i think 
it's important that people know that that when we well, and, I, and it'd be interesting to see your point but when we, we're talking about this and, and my wife calls my outlook on safety kind of like spiritual which i think that's just a way of describing it like it's not spiritual in any way it's just creating a place where people thrive to do what they need to do a people where people are trusted to do what they're employed and deemed competent to do it does not mean you're not held accountable for what you're doing you will if if, if we if we you know, talk maybe from a quality point of view if we're running a machine and at the end of that machine we want a ball that ball must be certain circumference and it comes out and it's not that certain circumference we're going to ask the question why 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 it just turns out that the machine operator set the circumference wrong then we're going to ask why did they set the circumference wrong oh they were just pissed and they had had a glass of wine before they came in or, or whatever it's like okay accountability do you know what I mean? And there's probably you could probably go even further and ask why are they drinking alcohol before they came in? And that's just a very loose example. But accountability does exist in these kind of trust-based, just culture scenarios. Um, it just creates a well, it just creates a better place to work, in my opinion. I think personally, for me, it's more so than any sort of financial gain. Is is everyone feels like they want to work in a place where they feel valued. Mm. Uh, create a value in some way and, and feel like you're making a difference and uh, you know m- more so than you know any sort of financial gain on that is to feel you know we spend so much time in work but so much of our lives in a working environment I mean I, I genuinely come come to work and have fun enjoy it love that I enjoy interacting with people there's this you know there's not a day I, I, I spent quite a long time in my early 20s in a, in a job I disliked and I, I, I believe I'd never put myself in that situation again. So it's uh, you know, getting that environment right and getting that culture where, where people said that they can speak up, they can positively challenge things. Um, and, and not just across safety, but across the tasks that people do. I think when you apply it, but then when you apply that safety element to it, is that if people feel like they can talk up and, and talk about something, it's, really, it's a really powerful, powerful tool. You know, in terms of catching observations, um, you know, being a, being a proactive, having a proactive element to that rather than something's happened, let's be reactive and let's figure out what went wrong. Let's, let's nip it in the butt early. Let's, let's create that environment where people feel, you know, I'm going to talk up and people are going to listen to me. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, when it's people that with that question, like, why are we not getting any near miss reports? Or why are people not, you know, reporting hazards and stuff or it's a classic thing isn't it? if you're investigating an incident as a safety professional maybe and someone goes why been like that for years mate and you're just like why have you not told me and then when you take a step back and you look at it and it's like the business is all about accountability you know you need to be accountability and i just think well there is accountability but actually what you might have created is what you may have created is, is is a culture of blame and then you wonder why near misses are not being reported because they don't want to report it because the last guy that reported something got blamed for it and then sacked or or something like that it's got to be that trust piece it's got to be i, I think it's probably once that when yeah, well, i think like i said what when you know i talk about governance is that when all right you create that environment for people to raise observations or raise near misses but i think what's probably worse than that is somebody shouting about something and nobody listening Mm. It's, the, it's having the process but action behind it because it's, it's, it's that thing of the boy who cried wolf there's only so many times people are going to shout up and down and if people don't listen or don't have the mechanism yeah. to action on something 
then they're yeah. going to start talking. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's that kind of, I'm, I remember delivering some training once for a business that, um, that I was working for at the time. And um, and, uh, and I'm quite an honest person. Anyone listening to the podcast probably worked that out. Um, so, so I kind of, I found it's important, especially when I was delivering this training. So basically I was delivering this training through the nation and I had a certain patch within that nation, um, obviously. And um and, and I found it important that when I was going around to be to be honest and not and not kind of sell bullshit. So walk around being like, you know, we as a business are going to invest in this. I'm going to do this, and and I would say, hey, these are some ideas that are going on. But I'm, if I'm honest, I'm I'm a bit pessimistic as whether this stuff's actually going to land because of the board are not buying into it. And and that was how I felt. So that was what I told people. And the, and the lady came up to me and she said. I really enjoyed your training, blah, 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 blah. She was blowing smoke up my ass, so I'd have listened to her all day. Um, <laughs> and um, and she said, but I don't know how you haven't been fired yet. And I was a bit taken aback, and I was like, excuse me? And she said, like, the way you talk about the board, and you're so honest, and no one stood up in front of us and said, you know, I actually don't think the board is going to buy into this. I actually don't think the board are going to spend money on this. I don't know how they haven't fired you. Um, you want to be careful. I said, I don't want to be careful. If they fire me, they fire me. My, my wife would be really upset, but that's like, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. But I, and, and she asked me why then, and I said, I need you to trust me. If I tell you in this room that we're going to do this, we're going to spend this, we're going to do that, and then we don't do it, you don't trust me. And it's a good example of that like that kind of, I've reported near misses, but you've done nothing about it, so I'm not going to report them anymore. And she was a bit, she was a bit like, I'm confused. And I said, right, let's put it this way. One day I'm going to come along to your site and there's going to be something seriously wrong or you're going to really need my help or worst case scenario, I'm going to turn up and have to tell you to stop straight away. I cannot do that unless you trust me. I need you to have a strong trusting relationship with me or the rest of my team to be able to do that. And it's that classic thing of like near misreporting. We don't do it maybe because people get blamed, whatever, but also we don't do it because you're not you're not listening to us. And then that, that breaks the trust in a way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's interesting. And it just seems like that seems like the golden thread through this whole thing. And I, I feel like Yonder really couldn't do what they're doing right now if you didn't have that golden thread of trust that everybody is working towards the same goal of delivering um, elegant solutions. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, elegant. I say solutions, like just data centers, yeah. We'll be delivering centers. <laughs> um, so... I remember you telling me, there's something that's stuck in my head, I think, and I might be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you were in your interview, you said you wanted to change the world. Is that right? Yep. And, and, and is, 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 do you feel like you're on track with that? feel like what you're doing now is going to change the world? Hopefully. I'm not sure what that looks like, but hopefully the thing about sharing information, being transparent, um, not having anything to hide. If, if we can, if, if, you know, personally, if I can use this, this, company and this thing as a platform to positively influence people I think that's a better achievement than anything else I can do in my life it's um, yeah it's, it's just it's starting to shape and um, I'm hoping I don't think that the thing about sharing information and sharing you know sharing accident information or sharing safety information is is um, I don't think it'll come without criticism um, I'm not being naive with that and I don't think it's going to be as as easy as um, as as it sounds on paper, and I think it'll be be a lot of challenge. But let's let's see what happens. 
I like that. Do you, do, have you received any kind of challenges so far, like other businesses you, you're trying to get in, or, or is it early um, days? Not, not really. So I think it, it's, it's more at the moment we're working with, um, with a quite well-respected partner um, in developing a platform where this, this kind of sits. And it, it'll be something that when it comes out, it'll be between us and them jointly. And you know, it, it'll, it'll provide value for, for them, for us, for everyone. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's very much in its infancy. It's, it's, this is something talking when I was having a, having a chat with my sort of CEO. Uh, about this, about, about very much that uh, Matthew Said book, the black box thinking, and uh, we, we were like, well, if, if we're doing this and we're creating a better place for the industry, why aren't we doing what the aviation industry does? Mm. Uh, I was like, I don't know, why aren't we doing that? And he's like, well, well, you tell me. This is what I want. This is what we should be doing. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and from that conversation, it, it just turned into right. Let's let's talk to some people. Um, let's let's get them some things in place. Let's start building on it and let's let's start seeing what that looks like. Love that. I love that. Do you think that um, I think I think when you say about like the challenges piece, I think that's inter- uh, it's an interesting thing. I think you will I think you will kind of struggle to get buy in in the beginning. I think that's inevitable, isn't it? Not not from within yonder maybe because it sounds like it sounds like the board's already brought into everything. But from from outside, you're going to come across that kind of archaic kind of attitude of that seeing that as a threat maybe to the brand to say hang on a minute we just hurt somebody and you want us to tell everybody about it yeah i do yeah i think that's interesting it's you know at that point the you, you can throw that back on people and say well i got nothing to hide why are you hiding mm. that's <laughs> I think as well, it's that kind of piece of, of, of looking at it, the, the potential positive impact on the brand. So I, I've, I've used this example a lot of times, but obviously within housing and fire safety and, and construction as well, um, you know, we, we, we kind of, um, we're in a muddy patch with, with after Grenfell and all that. So everybody's, you know, what is it, like three years on now, everybody seems to have shut down. The whole industry seems to have shut down. They're waiting to be told, what to do by the government now don't get me wrong there are some early adopters of the Hackett report that they seem to have taken lead but that's about it if i'm honest everybody's sitting around waiting to be told what to do and don't get me wrong there's some things i do think we should sit and on hold off and just kind of wait and just see how that how it like how the land lies however what what i don't understand is how n- not many businesses especially housing associations are not seeing this as an opportunity to have a positive impact on their brand so what if mcpherson housing for example let's say let's say what like early was it late last mid to late last year um had that that student block that was on fire and i think i don't think anybody passed away so thank god um but that, that was on fire. Now, what if McPherson Housing, for example, specialised in student student accommodation? And I, and I see that fire and everyone's talking about it within um, within the industry and on the news, etc. And I'm thinking, well, this is, this is an opportunity for me. I'm going to proactively attack this and I'm going to shout from the hilltops and the rooftops and every kind of tops to say, this is what McPherson Housing have done. We're proactively fire risk assessing our building. We're innovative in the way we do that. We're getting our housing managers involved. We're sharing our fire risk assessors with, with our customers, like the, like the like Hackett says. We're openly sharing our incidents and fires to kind of help people. We've replaced all the cladding. We've 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 done whatever, like all this cladding thing. And I, and I think like I, I pitched to a to a business. Um, after this kind of thing, they were like, oh, what are we going to do about the cladding? I said, forget about the cladding. 
leave it for now, right? Legislation's not retrospective, so technically we don't have to replace that. Why don't we replace everyone's white goods within the buildings that have got cladding on the property? And everyone just kind of looked at me. And I've said this time and time again in the podcast. People are probably thinking, here he goes again. Um, but why don't we do that? And everyone kind of looked at me in, and I was like, well, if I was going to do a risk assessment, I would attack the ignition source. And the ignition source of that fire was white goods. Not why don't we replace that? Well, because it's not our responsibility within the flat. No, I get that. But imagine, just imagine if your name, McPherson Housing, for example, is on BBC News. McPherson Housing replaces all customers' white goods and, and gives them a free check or whatever within their property, completely free. Everyone's thinking, whoa, I just got a new tumble dryer, new washing machine, new dishwasher, new fridge, all brand new for free. How'd you get that? My, my um, housing association, they don't, they don't want it to set on fire. They've said, yes, we've got the cladding, we're going to fix it, but it's going to take us time. It's going to take us money. It's going to cost us money. And we want to do it right. And we want to do it once. To do that, we want to control the ignition source. Imagine the potential impact, the potential positive impact on your brand of doing something like that. I thought I'd sold that and I thought I'm going to walk out of here like Conor McGregor. The response I got back was, we'd be taking on extra liability. We're not going to do it. And I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's just so frustrating. So I think you will come across those, those kind of industries that are a bit archaic and a bit old fashioned in their, in their mentality. And I think, I think you are going to have challenges, but I think don't, don't let that kind of get you down and just keep, chipping away because eventually people will start to see that actually if we look after people they'll look after us and that's only good for our brand you know people are going to say what, what who builds data centers oh that yonder group they were on the news the other day for doing this crazy innovative thing with safety oh okay let's have a look at that yeah absolutely so it's it's one of the, the sort of you say about being innovative is, is in terms of a company what we're doing it, we, we're heavily investing in R&D and when we consider like the, the research and development and in terms of industry there's there's only one industry lower in than construction in R&D anywhere in the world uh, any globally so you think there's what one step below construction in terms of research and development is hunting and fishing hmm. It's, it's, and you think about a fishing rod, that's not really changed much over the last <laughs> last 100 years, 200 years or whatever. And, uh, and the same, same, same in terms of hunting. It's, um, so so if, if when we were, we were looking at, the, you know, we're self-funded, we've got, you know, good money sat behind, behind us. It's, it's less, um, less invest in our research. Let's, let's think of, you know, we're not talking about you know, short term, what's going to change in the next year or two. Let's, let's look at the future. So it's for us, it's, it's not just looking at it as a construction project. Like I said, we're, we're invested for the next 10, 20 years, 30 years. So it's, it's what, what, if we can change something now or put the, put the wheels in motion for something now, then yeah, let's, let's, let's put that in place. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's invest in that and let's, let's bring positive change. Mm, I like that and, and I think as well it's kind of it's worth saying that like well I don't think we're sitting here advocating that people go and spend thousands of pounds on on kind of you know uh, what do you call it future-proofing all their property their machines their businesses what you don't have to do that with everything but have, have that conversation at least and just say is there an opportunity to future-proof here is there an opportunity to be better here like is 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 there an opportunity? I think I think that's worth. We're, we're not sitting here saying you have to spend loads of money to, and be innovative. We're just saying 
you just have to ask some questions and just say, are there better ways to do this? Is, is anybody else in our industry doing it better than us? Can we can we engage with them? I just I just think asking questions in a positive manner with a positive aim, we're just going to be in a much better situation, aren't we? Be that curious problem solver. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I'm going to steal yeah. that curious problem solver. And it's interesting that you say that you use that word curious. But we had um, was it John, John Jonathan Dempsey was on the podcast a long time ago. Again, quite similar to yourself, just a health and safety professional that I kind of connected with on social media. That I was quite interested about what they do, and I got him on. And he actually came round here to the studio. He, he was only local, so he just drove round here. We had a good chat, coffee. And come on a podcast, he used the word curious. He just said, that's all we are. That's all we need to be is curious as safety professionals, but not even just safety professionals, as, as kind of business leaders, you know, curiosity is, is, that, is that kind of, is that key that I think that opened the door to the future in a way, isn't it? But it's also that, that kind of social piece you were saying about earlier, and it kind of brings us back quite, quite nicely back to your what you're doing around your kind of incidents and and stuff like that and being being a bit more social in a way with, with your competitors potentially but with 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 anyone within the industry you're being social and it's interesting if you look back and I'm, I'm stealing Matthew's side stuff again from his other book in Rebel Ideas but you know he talks about it with like Silicon Valley and what, what made Silicon Valley so popular and so successful was they were social all these people yeah. just went down the pub you know, yeah. after work, they all just went down the pub and spoke to each other. It didn't matter whether one's from whatever the business was, of the, the birth business of Apple or Microsoft or whatever the bloody hell it was. They're down the pub, pub they're having a pint, they're sharing ideas, and then each person adds their own idea to that idea that that person came up with. And eventually, it became what we know it now as this kind of beast of a valley. Um, and essentially, that... In, is what I think aviation are, have done and are still doing and are still improving on and that it potentially is what you're, you're looking at doing I believe yeah absolutely oh, well it'll, it'll certainly see how it pans out this year but mm. uh, we've got multiple different work streams going on is being being quite a young young company a young technology company is, is certainly has that feel of a technology startup like you get in Silicon Valley but and you said about Matthew Said on the, the Rebel, Rebel Ideas, but it's, it's something we're really keen on is that diverse work group. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's getting away from that everyone's the same or you get a common copy of somebody or we're taking stuff in the UK and applying that to the Netherlands. No, we're building businesses globally and, and it's, it's building, you know, these are you know businesses for life rather than somebody coming and bringing sensible expats out or that sort of thing. So it's... Uh, yeah, it, it definitely feels in terms of company and the culture here that we got we got that startup feel. And like uh, it's, it's for me, it's, it's when I think of build, building building teams, it's making sure we have definitely a diverse skill set and a d- diverse way of thinking. From you know, we have, um, so we you know, Dutch people, Canadian people, French people, Belgians, uh, Germans. Yeah, we got you know, such a diverse team within our safety team. It's uh, and some of the ideas coming out of it is it's not necessarily how I'd, I'd be thinking, mm. but it's it's not necessarily. You know, that's not saying that's the wrong way of doing it either. It's it's uh, it's just interesting to bring all these ideas together, listen to them, and see where we can apply that and make it work work for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like the word diversity, I think we're we're a bit short-sighted with it in a way that if we say diversity, we think, oh yeah, okay, we need to employ more women, we need to employ more, you know, ethnic minorities or different religions, different cultures, different countries, blah blah blah. But it it can potentially go so much further than that as well. I think of like, what about difference of experience? You know, how many job adverts do we see? You know, looking for a group health and safety manager for a manufacturing plant must have extensive manufacturing experience and i'm like why then you're only going to ever get ideas from manufacturing why would you not and and again this was a conversation i had uh, a while ago and um with with a recruiter you know it was a a phenomenal job and i thought oh that'd be a great job and um and i was oh i haven't got enough manufacturing experience yeah but i've got experience everywhere yeah but they want manufacturing yeah but you, I, I might have ideas. I'm not saying I do, but I might have ideas that are from healthcare and housing that you'll never know, that you will never ever come across because you're only ever employing somebody from manufacturing. And it's the same with with cultures and countries as well. And 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 you know, any anyone that's thinking of a book to read, go and get Rebel Ideas. It, I, for yeah. me, I'm, I'm at the tail end of it now. Probably the last couple of chapters. It blew my mind. It, yeah. It's blowing my mind but like you say this the, your people your teams in finland and netherland that you're on a skype call you're in a meeting whatever and they go what about this and you're like i'd have never thought of that i, th- I think you know in terms, terms of industry what we have in our team um especially our, our, our senior safety team from oil and gas to maritime to engineering to defense to rail infrastructure it, that's not none of that is data centers or or strictly construction but to have those those kind of different ways of looking at things is is broad broad diversity is um yeah is is def, definitely sold and 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 so he, he mentions in that book as well about like um the reason like uh, uk politics got it so wrong that every person in politics is from uh, private education upper class and yeah, they yeah. think uh, when they sort of solving certain crises why don't they just sell bits of their art to to, f- to fund the heating crisis it's, it's completely detached from the real world but it's not detached from the world they used to so it, it's, it's that thing you know, probably naively a few years ago when I thought um, someone I thought I'll build a team and I'll build another clone you know another three clones of me I thought that'd be great but then it's 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 what what don't I know? That's that's the that's the scary part. But if you get a really diverse team on that, that's that's great. And we, we have a we have a fantastic uh, safety manager uh, operating our data center in the Netherlands. And it, it's it's for me that he's he's lived there, he's breathed that culture all his life. He you know he, he's Dutch. He's very Dutch, and he knows he knows Dutch. <laughs> it's so so why why would it, why what 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 don't I know that he knows, which is going to be applicable to that site and that project. And he's, uh, yeah, it's, it's on who am I to tell him any different? Mm. Well, it's, it's let, let's listen, you know, this be humble about it. Let's listen to people and bring their ideas into play. Mm. And I suppose in a way, do you, do you feel like, was, was that a bit serendipitous? Like were you, were you forced into that because, because you operate in so many um, different countries, like you inevitably had to get somebody from from Finland, for example, to understand Finnish legislation, yeah. guidance, etc. I think um, you know there's there's lots of you know neat tools and and software out there at the moment. So we, we use software called Anisa, and that's um, 
yeah, so that's just basically our regulatory forecasting uh, kit and order and, uh, and legislation, health, safety, and environment legislation for each country. And um, just just for us, they, they, it, well, just for us, but for anybody who takes it up, it gets provided in English, which makes it a lot more easier to digest for uh, for an English-speaking company. Mm. So it's um, you know we, we got that in there, but for me, it's it's, it's local local knowledge which maybe isn't written in black and white of yeah. how people act or to be able to interact with subcontracting teams or or know the you know, the particular type of cu- uh, customer culture or, or social nuance is different there compared to another part of the country um it's it's you know i'll give an example i'm i'm you know i'm a proud welshman but if i go anywhere in america they all call me english which mm. is i said that's like calling them canadians it's, it's not <laughs> It's, uh, if, if, you, if you think of, of what, you know, there, there's certain elements which maybe aren't, are unwritten, which I don't necessarily know about. So that's, or, or anybody with a similar sort of background to me knows about, which we diversify that team. It's, it's going to make us a lot stronger. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And there's a power to that, isn't there? And it's, it's a verse, vice versa power. Like, you're team in in kind of finland for example understand that local culture and stuff but you'll be able to drop that kind of a penny in the ocean that kind of odd that odd um question here and there that might open their minds to say oh that's quite a good english welsh idea um that we would have never thought of and vice versa you must there must be some quite interesting conversations in the room or in the skype calls that that you guys have um That must be quite fascinating. I'd like to be a fly in the wall in there. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's certainly some. Yeah, it's it's quite positive, definitely positive. And and I think that applies to even with, within a within one country. It doesn't necessarily have to be outside. Like you, there's quite obviously a clear north south divide in in the in England. Um, and then within that, each county is different. Within that, each town's different. And and it's so it's so funny. I mean, I've worked for businesses that are national and 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 i've worked for one particular business and, I, and i've said like you have got a huge north south divide huge north South, like more than the country it's absolutely massive and if you look at where how that how that company had grown it had basically come from um companies buying out companies so people in the south were previously one separate company that were then purchased by the the existing company which which naturally creates a little bit of a divide, I think. So you have to kind of work hard to fix that. Then you exacerbate that by the existing north-south divide. And then you look at the way the business was operating and it was like, well, this is how we do it in the north. Why doesn't it work down there? And and your people up north will be like, oh, it's always terrible down south you know it's bad down there the southerners are like oh god that's just that's just them lot up north everybody gets all the money up north and it's like do you know what this is so obvious to see why are people not picking this up it just blows my mind why can you not sit back and look at this and go oh okay we need to kind of maybe work it like devolve devolve power yeah devolve power like with councils and stuff like that and just say okay fair enough this is a standard we as a business want to deliver we want to deliver this and this and to this standard. Go and do it, please. However you want to do it in Northamptonshire, which is where I'm from, um, go and do it. Cool. Exactly how we set our management systems up. Is uh, yeah, give people the flexibility to build and, uh, and and succeed. I find it interesting that the way we kind of um, we'll bring this to a loop. soon. I'm trying to work out how long we've been chat waffling on for. Um, 
I find it interesting that I get my back up about the word compliance. So we, we've got a huge compliance culture in, uh, in England, as you'll probably be aware of, especially if you, if you listen to this podcast. And don't worry, I'm not going to get on a compliance rant. But I was, I was thinking about it the other day. And um, I was writing something, basically. And I was like, oh, do you know what I'm going to write here? Is I'm going to put the, the definition from the dictionary of the word compliance. Now, what I'd completely forgot is there's legal compliance, which essentially, or or, or compliance of being told what to do, basically. Like, you are a compliant person. You are compliant. My dog is compliant when I have a treat in my hand, for example. Um, But then there's the kind of um, engineering point of compliance where they go, how compliant is that metal? Or how compliant is that plastic? Which is like how much it moves and bends and how it complies with you. And I was like, isn't that interesting how we look at compliance from a you must do as you're told and be compliant but yet we can look at a, a piece of metal and say that metal is really compliant it will it will flex which is what we don't want to do in a culture of compliance we don't want to flex and bend the rules etc and i thought that was just a bit interesting that's just kind of crazy how my brain works um, but i thought that was interesting i think it's interpretation it's, it's quite a long yeah. bit or well, it's you know especially when you look at um, legal, uh, legal, legal writing, especially in the UK, you know, is up until that case law comes into place, it's, it's down to interpretation. Mm. Um, I remember with uh, back a few years ago, um, not too long ago, when we were still waiting for that first uh, first sort of case law to come up with the principal designer. We're all within CDM of up, up until that point. I remember sitting with a with a with a client when I was working for consultancy, and I was like. This is our best interpretation as to what, what this is, but until testing case law, we don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Wait, waiting for that to hit before we can say, well, this is, you know, we, we can say based on that, but then generally it's down to interpretation of that law. Mm. It is, it is, but then I think as well, like, it's quite interesting when people talk about, I, I find the compliance culture comes from people that m- maintain buildings, so like the FM world seems to be quite heavy in compliance because you must do a fixed wire inspection every five years, you must do a gas safe check, etc. And they kind of class that as compliance, but then they, they roll health and safety in with compliance for obvious reasons, I get that, but then... I remember challenging a member of a board once and saying, you know, what, what does compliance mean to you? You've stood up there and said, compliance, 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 we'll be going to be 99.9% compliant, blah, 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 blah. What, what is compliance to you? And he came back with quite a good political uh, answer, which was, you as the safety professional, James, should be able to tell me that answer. And I was like, oh, who am I speaking to here? Boris Johnson or something? I, I was very impressed with his answer. But in a way, how can you be compliant with the health and safety at work act or or the the management health and safety at work which tells you do a risk assessment or the health safety at work that tells you do what's reasonable and practicable what's reasonable and practicable well that's based on an opinion and interpretation within your business you as a team of safety professionals engineers electric electricians builders whatever you do as a business but you collect the relevant people for the process that you're risk assessing and determine what is reasonable and practicable to mm-hmm. implement so being compliant is, is, a, is an opinion. It's a perception yep. within your business. My compliance is completely different from Yonder's compliance, for example. Yep. Subjective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's subjective, but do you really want to test that with a man in a curly wig? Probably not. Or woman. Well, 
Yeah. That, that's a good point. I remember somebody asking me a long time ago, and they said, when, when, do, um, when do we know the risk assessment's right, James? I said, when you're standing in court in front of a judge, and if you're standing in court in front of a judge, the risk assessment wasn't right. <laughs> and that's, that's the irony of what, we, what we've got to do here. And, but I, I do think that the fear of the courts and, and, and maybe compensation and stuff like that, kind of civil law more so, the, the fear of that culture is, is maybe stifles us a bit. Like, I just think, like, well, why don't you try and create a, an environment where people don't want to sue you? Yeah. Be- I, because I, I, they love working for you, for example. I think I'm bringing back that, that, that point in terms of that's what we're doing as a company. Is uh, We talk about elegantly, I said again, without bringing the contracts out every five minutes to go through that line by line. You said you do this, but you didn't do that. So now I'm not going to pay you this or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's less, let's think about this. And, you know, let's, let's all deliver to that that goal and tying back into I said about Dan Coyle and his book like the culture code and the talent code is is when people have those, those three elements of that safe environment that shared vulnerability that if we don't get this right we're not going to make the money we need to make or, or have that common goal of when we do get this right we're all going to succeed once mm. when people are aware of those 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 elements of it um, and it, it's very conscious in people's minds, then suddenly we don't have to go down that, that point of, of, of doing that or getting sued or, or going, going down the lawyer's route because as soon as you start talking to lawyers, it gets really expensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. I find it interesting. I, I don't know if you watch, have you ever watched the Explained series on Netflix? No, no. Watch it, in my opinion. I think everybody should watch it. It's, it's phenomenal. They're 20-minute episodes about a single subject, and they, they get really into the nitty-gritty, and it's amazing. But there's one point that I, I kind of want to finish with. If anybody thinks, okay, yeah, maybe I'll watch it, or you've got a spare 20 minutes, watch the Pirates episode, right? And there's one thing in the Pirates episode that they're talking about why pirates were so popular, you know, like the Pirates of the Caribbean, everybody wanted to be a pirate, blah, blah, blah. And it's around the kind of same era i suppose of of uh, punishment hierarchy is sharp so you know if, if you were in the military then it was a horrible life like you you were not a gentleman you were like the scum the pond scum etc you get whipped and punished if you weren't good right so why was po- pirates so popular because they were compensated so they had a compensation scheme like an actual scheme that if you lost a leg that had a figure the same as our kind of uh, precedence in case law now in in civil law it would say like a lost a leg is roughly two grand, right? Had exactly the same in Pirates. For, it blew my mind when I watched this. I was like, hang on a minute. Pirates got this. They understood what leadership, what, what man wanted was to be paid. I'm, I'll, I'll risk my life. That's fine. But I'll risk my life thinking, well, if I lose a leg, I'm going to get some money back anyway. So either way, I quite enjoyed it. They had a, a culture of, of the people in the ship, the pirates, were asked by the captain, what do you think? What do you think we should do? This is what I think we should do. Obviously, the captain ultimately made a decision, but they were engaged and they were involved in that decision-making process. Fundamental basics of leadership and compensation and remuneration and all that, pirates understood this. Criminals. <laughs> but yet some of the biggest corporations in the world do not understand this. It's crazy. Risk and reward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It blew my mind. Anyway, okay, Gareth, that'll that'll do. Let's leave it there. To be honest, I think we're we're both a similar mindset and I think we could end up um, waffling on all day and I think it'd be better to do that 
not in the morning and not over <laughs> Skype. It would be better to do that in the pub in the afternoon um so so let's kind of leave it there if people wanted to continue this conversation um with you about curiosity etc um or even if they're just interested in yonder they can reach out to you on linkedin is that right yeah i'm on linkedin uh gareth evans uh, and i'm also on twitter and that's linkedin my linkedin profile so please reach out um yeah we'll put both in in the description for everybody as well um thank you very much for coming on podcast gareth Thank you, James. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, guys, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast. Final apology from me. I'm so sorry we were gone for so long. We'll be back as much as we can. I'd like to say we're going to commit again to to weekly, but you never know. Um, We will be committing to weekly again. So every Monday, um, there'll be a podcast again, unless we miss the odd one. But we are back. Guess who's back? Back again. Anyway... Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. All the links and stuff that we mentioned in the podcast, they are below. Don't forget to hit subscribe on our YouTube channel because there's so much more content over there as well. If you're interested about the HSE Congress, you can keep uh, subscribed over there and you'll be able to see what that looks, feels like, country smells like, but you'll you get a feel for it and it'll be really good. Um, if you haven't already, click follow on this podcast. If you've unclicked follow because we were gone so long, then click it again and try and think of three people that will benefit from this conversation with Gareth Evans and share it with them. You don't have to share it with everyone, just them. And please, I'm, you know what? I was going to ask for a rate and review, but you know what? I'm not going to. I'm not going to because I don't deserve a rate and review. I've been gone for so long. I don't deserve it. And frankly, You know, we've been doing this podcast a year and I've only got three. So you're not listening anyway. Nice to be back, guys. Catch you next week in the podcast. Safe. Hey everyone, you're looking for something a little bit different for your next digital or physical conference, business event, safety event? How about Health and Safety's first and only YouTuber? Go to www.rebrandingsafety to get Rebranding Safety at your next event. Or email me at james at rebrandingsafety.com. Catch you later. Safe.